0: Well today, uh, we start a new year, and a new year for many brings a renewed sense of optimism. Okay, we have, uh, it's like a new start, it's like a clean slate, an empty diary, uh, so much potential for things we could do. And so many people of course feel inspired to set some new goals um, for life, or um, you know, to use a worn out word, uh, new to make resolutions. And so the internet, social media, it's flooded with all kinds of plans, you know, exercise plans, reading plans, all of these plans which are designed to make you into a better you for 2023. So there's a lot of optimism surrounding the start of a new year. But then there's other people who maybe don't feel so optimistic. And for many people, a new year probably leads to some reflection on the year that has just been, and all of the ways in which that year felt so short, and all of the ways in which we failed to achieve the things that we wanted to achieve for last year. And uh, some might even doubt whether this new year will be any different. You know, we might have some plans, but they will all come to nothing. Uh, so either, you know, either optimistic or pessimistic, but either way, a new year is actually a time when many people stop and think about time itself and think about how we use our time. And do you know there's always value in doing that? Okay? It's always valuable to stop and think, how am I using the time that I have? In fact, Psalm 90 is all about that. Psalm 90 is all about uh, time. It's all about how we think about the time that we've been given and how we use the time that we've been given. And uh, the point of the psalm is really to reorient it, reorient our thinking uh, so that we uh, think about our time in a way that leads to us becoming wise, you know, and using our time in a wise way. So we need to have our our thinking reoriented. And uh, the psalm does that. Uh, In fact, the main verse of Psalm 90 is verse 12 which says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain, uh, get a heart of wisdom. <clears throat> oh, sorry about that. <clears throat> uh, so here we go. To reorient, it, reorient our thinking about our time, we need to have three things in perspective. We need to know God's eternity. We need to know our mortality. And we need to know God's mercy. Let's look at those three parts of the psalm. So first, we we need to know God's eternity. That's in verses 1 to 2. And it begins by saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. So here's Moses. He's leading the people in prayer. And he's he's acknowledging that in all the ages, God's people have always found God to be the place of security and dependability. He says, Lord, you've been our... Our dwelling place, which is another way of saying God, you're our true home, and that's actually a helpful way of thinking about where we belong. Uh, it's a helpful way of of thinking where we can feel anchored in this ever-changing world. Uh, this is actually something that everyone wants. You know, everyone wants to have a sense of belonging, a place to call home. You know, somewhere where we can sink our roots into and and feel that sense of security, that sense of belonging. And for many people though, that sense of belonging comes from a certain location. Now it might be a um, a hometown or a family home that you always wanna go back to and visit and and you feel that that's where your roots are firmly anchored. Or it might be, uh, for many people, they think of um, loved ones as that place of security You know, that they're always there for you. You can always go to them and find uh, a welcome, a sense of um, belonging. Or maybe you look to something like a solid investment, that that's your sense of security in life. That so long as you've got that solid investment, then you can be safe and, and, and in a secure position for whatever happens in the future. See, we all want somewhere or something to give that sense of belonging. Now that sense of security, uh, a dwelling place, and uh, what we see though when we look into the world and look at all the places where so many people try to find that sense of belonging, there's actually nothing in this world that provides a permanent dwelling. There's nothing in this world that gives that, that true sense of belonging that, that's always there because everything's always changing. You know, hometowns change. If I go back to my um, town that I grew up in, and go back to those paddocks where I used to ride my bike and hunt rabbits, well now they're all covered in roads and houses. Uh, And all the people who made that a place of um, belonging, connection, they've all moved away. Uh, Family homes. Family homes are eventually sold off and someone else occupies them. Uh, Loved ones grow old and uh, even die. Uh, See, everything is changing, constantly changing. And verses 1 and 2 remind us in this psalm, remind us to look where God's people have always looked, for a true sense of belonging, a permanent dwelling place, somewhere where you can always go and you know that's always there, always the same, and that is God himself. God is the true home uh, for his people, and the reason God is the true home is because unlike any other home, or any other refuge you can find, he's always there and he never changes. For the mountains were brought forth, verse 2 says, or ever you would form the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And whenever we think about old things, you know, usually our minds go to mountains. You know, they're so big, so permanent, they look like they've been there forever. And yet there was a time when mountains were not you go back far enough in time you eventually get to the point where they didn't exist. They weren't there. But what was there? What was there before anything else existed? God. God has always existed before God created anything. He was always there. He has always been there. And it doesn't matter how far you go back in time or how far forward you go back in time, God is always there And he's always the same. See, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In fact, if you look down at verse 4, notice what else we learn about um, God's um, perspective on time. Uh, It says in verse 4, A thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. That's an interesting verse to think about, because it, it seems to be saying that God experiences time differently to us. You know, God's experience of time. A thousand years go by, and it's like it was yesterday. Uh, Two thousand years ago, Jesus walked the earth, and to God that feels like, um, well, that's like it was just the weekend ago. Uh, And what's this this saying? It's saying, well, you know, we know God as our creator. He exists outside of creation. You know, he's not bound uh, to creation like we are. But it sounds from verse 4 that he's also not bound to time like we are, that he experiences time differently, that he's actually outside time so that, you know, God can look at our past, present, and future as if they're all happening at once. And we're not like that. You know, we're embedded in time. We can only ever experience the present. And we move from one moment to the next in life, uncertain about what's going to happen next. But see, God's not like that. He's outside time. He knows one end from the beginning. He sees it all at once. And, you know, that's not really easy for us to get our heads around that. But it does actually give us assurance that God knows what he's doing in his management of the universe, right? Because if you think about it, God is never in a position where he goes, yikes, I didn't see that coming. What am I going to do now? He never has that feeling. Uh, For God, he never has to react to some unforeseen circumstance because he's outside of time. He never has to change his plans because he sees the end from the beginning. It also means that he's never late in his dealings with us. Uh, You know, there's lots of cries in the Bible, like even in this psalm, How long, O Lord? Okay, but God is never late. His timing is always perfect because he's outside of time. He interacts at just the right moment in your life. And yet the God who is outside of time, he, he does interact with his people in time so that he is the dwelling place, the only place of permanence, security and, and, and life. And so in the midst of all the instability and all the turmoil in the world, you know, ever-changing life, God is the dwelling place. God is the one you can go to and know that he's always there. He never changes. He's from everlasting to everlasting. And that's the first thing we need to keep in mind. When we think about time, when we think about the time that we have, the first step is to, to understand God's eternity. We need to see things from God's perspective, that God is eternal. And that will help us to see our lives in the right way. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing we need to keep in mind uh, when we think about our time is we need to keep in mind our own mortality. Okay, our mortality. And that's in verses 3 to 11. Here Moses, um, he confronts us with the very sobering reality that, uh, well, we're very frail. And our existence is very temporary, uh, very short. Uh, so in verse 3, he says, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. So what, what are our bodies? Now, these physical bodies we have, what are they? They're just organised dust. I mean, Genesis 2 says God formed us out of the dust, breathed life into us. And yet we also see that God can take that life away at any time of his choosing. He can say, return, O children of man, to dust. And one day that will happen. One day, if Jesus doesn't come back before that, one day all of us in this room will be dust again. I remember walking into someone's house and seeing a jar on their mantelpiece. And it turns out in that jar was the, the ashes of one of their parents. It's quite a confronting thing to think about. But, you know, one day that's what we will be, just this dust blows away in the wind. In fact, verses 4 and to 6 go on to show us how soon that will actually take place, how short our lives are uh, in comparison to um, God's eternity. So uh, verse 4, you know, that thousand years in God's sight, it's like yesterday. It's kind of saying to us that even if we were able to live a thousand years, when you compare that to eternity, that's just like a yesterday. You know, if you think about a, think about a rope stretched right across this room, okay, and that, we'll say that rope represents eternity, where do we fit on that? We're just one little dot on that rope, stretching like that's our lives compared to eternity. That's what verses 4 and 6 are getting across, and they do that by way of analogy. Notice the analogies here. It says um, that we're swept away like a flood, you're in a flood, you've got all these things in your backyard, they're here one moment, gone the next. It's like our lives. Uh, or we're like a dream. Uh, you know, you wake up in the morning and you, you know you've had a dream, but you can't quite remember what it was. Our lives are going to be like that one day. One day soon. No one will remember that we even existed. Now we might be a name in a book or on a tombstone or something, but no one's going to remember us. Like a dream, we fly away. Or what else? We're like grass, uh, verse, uh, verse, uh, end of verse 5, that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Uh, you know, the, the house block I have um, seems to be built, uh, well, the house is built on sand, which um, you wonder how wise that is. But um, it means so that the grass, uh, while it rains, it's all nice and green. But then on Tuesday, we got that really hot day. At the end of the day, it was all brown. That's how quick it goes from being green to brown. And again, this is an analogy for our lives. But compared to eternity, that's what our lives are like, like a blade of grass springs up so green, look at it, so healthy and flourishing, by the end of the day, it's dead. That's what our lives are like compared to eternity. And so these analogies, they're getting across how brief our lives are. Uh, and, And this is something I think we all sense the older we get. And uh, do you know, um, I've been married um, 21 years, which is half of my life. And it feels like my wedding day was yesterday. Okay, that, that 21 years has gone so fast, all of a sudden I've got, I've got an adult child. Where did that time go? Uh, you know, half my life gone in a blink of an eye. And I suspect that the next 21 years is going to go by what will feel like even faster. I'll be in my 60s before you know it. Do you know every, um, well not every night, but a lot of, a lot of days we uh, as a family go for a walk in our estate and we walk past um, the house of this uh, elderly couple who are very nice, we always stop and chat to them and uh, this, this fella Jim, um, he looks really old and uh, every time he sees us he goes, oh, I can't believe how fast your children are growing up. And then he always says to me something along the lines of, do you know, one day, very soon, you're gonna look just like me. <laughs> and, and do you know where I'm moving next? I'm gonna move house soon, do you know where I'm going? Bunning Yong. He, he, he always brings that up. Uh, and he's right, he's right. Life, it's so brief. Now, before we know it, all of us are gonna be right at the end and think, where did my time go? Where did my life go? It's just over like that. All of us are going to feel like that. Sooner than we can ever imagine. It's like the blink of an eye. See, our lives are incredibly short, but but another thing this psalm tells us is that they are full of trouble. Now, life is short, but it's also full of trouble. So just jump down to verse 10. Uh, In verse 10, it says the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Um, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Do you know, do you know verse 10? It's like Moses is agreeing with that saying that goes, Life sucks and then you die. Life sucks and then you die. That's verse 10. And do you know, th- there is a sense in which life really is like that. I think that's why so many embrace that saying because it's just so true to reality. Life sucks. And then you die. Uh, And, you know, we have such a short lifespan, and yet how much of it is full of so much trouble, so much pain, so much frustration, even just so full of boredom? You know, the majority of our lives is taken up with um, sleep, which we need obviously, and and work. And uh, what is work? It's just doing the same thing day after day full of frustrations, constantly trying to overcome the next problem. Uh, that, that's life. Uh, our lives always seem to be full of some uh, drama that we're trying to work through, thinking boy if we can just get over this one then we'll be uh, happy again. And then our bodies always dogged by some ailment, some uh, injury or something like that. So the things that we want to do in life we can't, we're always held back. Or it might be, you know, with work, we we wish we had more time to do the things we love, but we've got to work to get money to do the things we love. And so we're always in this catch-22, can never quite grasp at what we want to get out of life. There's always this sense of frustration that it doesn't work. And then, of course, on top of all of that, there is real suffering, real suffering that some of you know what it's like to suffer, to, to really know pain. Okay, that's life. Life sucks and then you die. Do you know, for some people, life really is just one big disappointment. Starts out so full of hope, you get to the end and boy, that was a a real disappointment. There is a sense in which the Bible does agree with the saying, life sucks and then you die. Moses says it in verse 10. The question though is why? Why does life have to be like that? Why is life actually like that? Haven't you ever stopped to ask that question? Why is life such a pain? Why is it so short? Why? Why, why? And that's what Moses actually answers here. Okay, Moses doesn't just describe life. He tells us why it's like this. And you see the reason why in verses 7 to 11. And the reason why, uh, you'll notice that there's all these references to God's anger and God's wrath. So look at verse 7, it says, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh or a moan. See, what Moses is reminding us of here is that the reason our lives are cut short, the reason why they're so full of pain and sorrow The reason why we die is because God is angry with us. Okay, How do you like that? That's pretty confronting. God is angry with us. Why? Because we sin. That's why. Because we're sinners who continually do things against him that offend him. And therefore he is rightly angry with us. Uh, now, in saying that, it's not that God inflicts us every time we commit a particular sin. Okay, but overall, we're sinners, and the wages of sin is death. <clears throat> now, in fact, what Moses is doing here in verses 7 to 11, he's really just unpacking the reality of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, according to Genesis 3, right at the beginning, what happened? Adam, the first man, acting as our representative. He decided that he didn't want to have God in his life. He decided he wanted to be his own boss, to be a law unto himself. He decided he wanted to say how he wanted to do life, didn't want God interfering. That's what brought sin into the world. That's why we're now sinners, because Adam was our representative and what everything that he did is then credited to us. And in response to um, sin coming into the world, God cursed the world. Okay, you read that in Genesis 3 where God says, Cursed be this, cursed be that. And, uh, you know, our work, why is work so frustrating? Because of the curse. Okay. Why is it that there's thorns and thistles? Why is it that there's natural disasters, you know, floods, bushfires? Why is it that there's suffering, diseases, disabilities? Why are all these things in part of life? Because of the curse on the world. The world is fallen. And we all suffer the consequences of Adam's choice. Adam's choice to reject God, to want to do life independently of God. We all now suffer the consequences of that choice. Every single day. And we're all responsible too. Because we all sin. Uh, Romans 5 verse 12 summarizes that really well. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, okay, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, that's why we die, because of sin. We're sinners living in a fallen world. And it's at this point in the psalm that Moses leads God's people to pray in verse 12, so teach us to number our days. That we may gain a heart of wisdom okay this is the point where that verse comes in know right, this verse it gets ripped out of its context and we put it up on our wall and it sounds so nice you know let's make the most of each day but in its context what's it saying what does it mean to teach us to number our days what does it mean to number our days it means to be deeply aware of how short life is because of the consequences of sin that's what it means to number your days Be very aware, be acutely aware of how short your life is, that it's been cut short because of the consequences of sin. That's what it means to number our days. And it means to recognize that our days are limited. And they're so short compared to eternity. See, we're taking the context of the psalm. Now we can see what it means to number our days. And you will only get that perspective if you first start with God, like the Psalm does. Okay, we have to put all of life in reference to God. When we compare ourselves to God, we realize what we're really like. Now, when we listen to God as He explains why the world is the way it is, now we can see. Now we see why life is so painful, and, and why we die, uh, and why our lives are cut short. God tells us in His Word. Okay, we get a heart of wisdom, by listening to God, that's why it says teach us, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom now well, foolishness, let's just contrast this, foolishness, what is foolishness? It's to assume that your life will go on forever foolishness is to, to assume you can ignore God and do life your way and it'll all work out in the end, that's foolishness foolishness to, is to assume that this life is all there is and that living for ourselves here and now is what matters in life that's foolishness it's wise to say to god teach me help me to see what life really is about what i really am like before you that's what it, that's what wisdom is and so that's how we are to view our time we're to think about it in light of god's eternity And in light of our mortality. Now if the psalm ended there that that would be a very discouraging message. Imagine if I said okay let's all go home now. Yeah that's a great way to start the year. You know our life's short, full of pain, we're going to die and that's it. That's pretty discouraging but that's not where the psalm ends. Okay there's some very good news in this psalm for all of you here today. Very good news. Uh, The good news is that the psalm doesn't end by talking about our mortality. It ends by talking about God's mercy or God's pity. Pity is the word that's used. Um, But it's talking about God's mercy toward those who are under the sentence of death. And that's what these last five verses are about. So it begins in verse 13 by saying, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity or have mercy on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Now everything in those two verses there presupposes a relationship with God based on his covenant. See how the word Lord, it's in capitals, it's it's because it's God's covenant name. This This is the name that God reveals to those that he enters into a relationship with. And to ask God the question, how long? that presupposes that there is a bright future that God has promised. Okay, there's something to look forward to. And so when you're asked how long, you're saying, you know, when's that going to happen? Why do we have to keep putting up with all this pain? So it presupposes there's a bright future. And what is that bright future? Well, it's a future based on God's pity, God's mercy, uh, God's grace. God doesn't treat us according to what our sins deserve, but rather he shows his steadfast love. That's another covenant um, term God's steadfast love, God's commitment to us. And it results in that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Now, they're incredible words, aren't they? Given everything that verses 7 to 11 says about our condition under God's holy and righteous wrath. right? And yet here we're, we're seeing in verses uh, 13 to 14 that we can actually have confidence that God's wrath has been turned away from us that now he's just showing his love toward us. He's no longer angry with us. In fact, it says that God will make us glad for as many days as he has afflicted us. Now, how does all this happen? How is it that we can go from being under God's anger, under the sentence of death, to now being under God's love and promise this bright future? How does that happen? Well, verse 16 tells us. Look at verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Remember, Moses is leading the people in prayer. And this is a prayer that God would show his powerful work of salvation. And since it's Moses leading the people in prayer, you can imagine everyone where their mind is going, isn't it? They're all thinking of the Exodus. Now, that that event where God brought his people out of the land of Slavery out of the land of suffering and death, through the Red Sea. That's what everyone's thinking about. Wow, God's power, God's salvation. But Moses is not looking back here. This is a prayer looking forward. See, Moses is saying, Lord, show your power to save in a new way, in a greater way than the Exodus. So has Moses' prayer been answered? Yes, it has. Moses' prayer in verse 16 has been answered in the coming of Jesus. Remember in the first point we looked at how God is our dwelling place. God is our dwelling place so that we can have a secure place that lasts forever. Okay, how does that come about? Well, here we, know, we see the answer. It's not that we worked our way up to God and made our dwelling place with him. It's the very opposite. It's that God came down to us. God came into our world. Okay? He made his dwelling with us in the person of Jesus. What we have is that God, who is outside of time, entered into time. Okay? He took on flesh. He entered into our world with all of the mess, this cursed world. He, he came and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. And he didn't live a sinful life like us. Jesus was perfect, which means that death had no hold on him. And yet what did he do? His very purpose was to come and die. He went to that cross. He died the death that we should die for our sin. He, he endured God's wrath that was meant for us. And he and he died, and and by dying he satisfied God's wrath that was against us. So now it's turned away. Everyone who puts their trust in Jesus, no longer under God's anger, you're now under God's steadfast love. And not only did Jesus die, but he rose again. And by rising from the dead, he promises that all who trust in him will also rise. Okay, that's the bright future that God has promised. A future of resurrection. See, right now, our earthly bodies are still subject to sin and death. It's not like the moment you believe in Jesus, that's it, you're free from ever worrying about sin again, or you don't have to die anymore. No, no, our bodies are still subject to sin and death. But if you're in Christ, death no longer has a hold on you. It's like Jesus said, you know, if you believe in me, yes, you'll die, but you will also live. You will rise again at the end when Jesus comes again. That's the bright future. That's promised to all who are in Jesus. And that's all because of God's mercy. You can actually have that future. That can be yours by trusting in Christ. Believing that he died in your place. And here's the thing. If all of that's true, if we have this bright future in Jesus, you know, if we're now free from uh, the consequences of sin, okay, if all of that's true, and that leads to two implications. Remember, I started this sermon talking about how we use our time. Uh, you know, if we're going to think about resolutions for 2023. Here's two that, that are implications of this psalm. The first one is this stop stressing out. Stop stressing out. And the reason I say that is because if you're in Christ, you're going to live forever in a resurrected body, in a renewed creation. That means you don't have to now try to cram everything you want to do into this life. Okay, this life is so short. We're never going to be able to do all the things we want to do. Here's a couple of examples. Um, you know, it's great to travel the world, you know, to see all the sights, go to all those places. If you've got the means to do that, that's fantastic. But for the rest of us, we're never going to be able to do that. But guess what, it doesn't matter. Because we've got all eternity to travel the world. Do you see? You don't have to worry anymore. Here's another example. It's really great to have a nice home. You know, everyone wants that forever home. Uh, you know, when I think of the forever home, by the bay, looking over the sea, wouldn't that be wonderful? Living there. It's like dying and going to heaven. But guess what? This world is not our final home. There is no forever home here because life is cut short. And therefore, if you're in Christ, you have a forever home. You have the new heavens and the new earth to look forward to, which never wears out. You won't have a body that's subject to all these ailments. You'll be able to run without a sore foot. (laughs) You'll be able to jump without a dodgy knee. Okay, So stop stressing. You don't have to cram everything into this life. You can relax. That's the first implication. But here's the second implication. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Because this life is short. It's passing away. And so what is a wasted life? A wasted life is just living for here and now, living as if this life is all that matters, just focusing on yourself and your own needs. That's a wasted life. Don't waste your life. Uh, In fact, the last verse in this psalm, which I haven't mentioned yet, it actually calls us to prioritize those things that that last forever. The things that we're to do, we're to prioritize those things that last forever. So verse 17 says, Let the favor of the Lord be upon us, and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So established work, that's deeds that that last forever. Go on forever now. Now, what what work can possibly last forever? I'll tell you what it is. It's everything you do in Christ. Okay, everything you do in Christ. When you live out the gospel, that all lasts forever. Okay, everything you do for Jesus, it lasts forever. Uh, And so as you live out the gospel in your workplace, in your home, in your church, okay, as you live out the gospel in all of life, as you Uh, make disciples as you raise your children to know Jesus as you share the gospel with your neighbours and your friends see the fruit of all of that it endures forever it lasts forever and that means that we should prioritise those sorts of things in our lives Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is a chapter about the resurrected body that we have to look forward to and living forever and the very last verse in that chapter is this, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you see that? Serve Christ in your daily life. Whatever job you have, you can serve Christ in that job. Whatever family situation, who your family is not, you can serve Christ. Everything you do for Christ... It endures forever. So make that the priority. That's what I mean by don't waste your life. Serve Jesus. And so let's make verse 11 our prayer uh, for 2023. Lord, establish the work of our hands.